City, City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City Limits. Okay, City Limits on the air, Terence Cement fades away. We've just been riding over it anyway. And um, it's our second program of the year. It's the second Wednesday of the month. Today we look at energy and related issues, utilities, etc. And therefore going to be talking, not therefore, but we are going to be talking today to Dave Sweeney, the anti-nuclear campaigner with the Australian Conservation Foundation, because over the break there's been heaps of things happening about the uranium area, including Fukushima saying its only solution is to release its uh, radioactive water into the ocean. Um, last weekend, uh, Canavan, the day before he resigned as minister, approved a, a site for the uranium waste dump in South Australia, a town called Kimber, and we've got the government, many government members running around saying nuclear must be part of the equation. Um, and look, just Juliet Fox, just before you get up, because we're about to have a switch, because I'm on my own at the moment, I don't know what's happened, Meg, Meg is due in, and um, Karina knows what's happened to her either, but we've been talking about currently on subscriber drive, Juliet, you work at this studio, how important is it to uh, the studio to get money? Money is important. Um, it's extremely important for people to become members. So your listeners would be very familiar with Radiothon when you donate and you get your tax deduction. Right now in February, it's Subscriber Drive, and that's when we encourage people to become a member, to join the station, um, to get involved in it as well in that way. And you can call now on 94198377 and become a member. Say that you'd like to be a member of the City Limits show. So each show has a target. And, Have we? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and membership is really important. I'm sure that most of your listeners would subscribe to a whole range of things, um, you know, in terms mm. of consuming media. And it's important that we have their support as well. For a concession, it's only $35 for the year. We send you a station magazine and you can rest easy in the knowledge that you are supporting independent community media. And you can vote for the committee at the appropriate time. Yep, absolutely. You You could stand as a subscriber representative, get involved in the governance of the station. Hours of entertainment. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's right. Well, I I was going to, we're going to have a change of chair there, aren't we? Not now, because I notice Eleanor McEnany's walking into the studio and she's going to sit down and presumably, and we don't know what's happened to the other people here today, but they they may turn up in dribs and drabs through the program. But don't I mention I'm Kevin Healy? I probably didn't, but what's the matter? Um, Look, when, if you, if if you subscribe to us, uh, well, if you people must subscribe to the Herald Sun to get such great stories because you don't get this sort of story on 3CR and maybe that's why people shouldn't subscribe really because this is one of the great stories of all time. A photo of uh, Mark Murphy, the former Carlton captain, and his wife with a with a with a one of those flags they wave at Grand Prix. And the headline is GP has hearts racing. This is the main P3 store, P7, actually, the other day. Mark and Jesse Murphy are racing to the start line, Eleanor. They don't say Eleanor in the story, by the way. In their dream ride together. 
The AFL Glamour Couple are part of this year's Formula One Grand Prix Ambassador Team as the event in March celebrates its 25th anniversary at the Albert Park Circuit. Isn't this wonderful? Has it already been 25 years? Uh, 25 and since we protested. It has been, well not since because we've done it since then as well, but it's been an absolute dream of mine to step into this role and it is really exciting that it's when the Grand Prix is celebrating its 25th anniversary in Melbourne, our home city, Jesse said, and it goes on with that sort of wonderful hard news copy um you don't get on 3CR. You don't get that on 3CR, so, you know, Make shame to us. Make about subscribing. <laughs> That's right. Shame to us. Do you want a cup of tea? I'm going to... Oh, I've got my coffee, actually. Oh, OK. Well, Thank I'll you. pour myself a cup. I bought in three cups, but the other two people aren't here. This is just... Well, anyway, sort it out. They must have a reasonable excuse, I guess. If they haven't, things will happen. <laughs> but anyway, before we go to Dave Sweeney and talk about the... Um, the, the proliferation of news about nuclear matters. Um, good to see, though, on a positive note, we haven't got too many of those, but on a positive note, uh, the, well, it's perhaps not, it's in fact the last one to do it, but Victoria is about to become the last government to have a cash for can and bottle type um, deposit scheme and and uh, hopefully clean up a lot of the rubbish that we see around the place. So that, that is a bit of a positive if it, mm. goes, if it goes ahead and does it again. But on the negative side, they still haven't decided... An amazing, given the complaints recently about the loss of wildlife in the dreadful fires, that the government still hasn't said it will not have a duck season this season. Oh, really? Yeah. There's two ministers fighting over it and haven't made up their minds yet. I'm going to have a sip of tea. Hang on a tea. Oh, did you hear that? That was wonderful. Yeah, so they're still t- contemplating whether or not they'll have a duck season. And the bloke from the shooters and whatever they call themselves, shooters and fishers mob, he wants a quick answer and obviously he wants the answer to go the way of, you know, these people deserve to go out and shoot a few animals for practice and for sport and have a bit of fun. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's one. Um, now, just uh, looking at the other matters I thought of some importance, um, the, um, you'll be pleased to hear... Um, that um, Adam Bant, having become head of the Greens, he's actually um, now seen as some sort of socialist threat, apparently. All right. I mean, I remember he was involved in the union movement, defending them against the ABCC back in the day. That's right. Does that make you a socialist? Um, That probably does. And, well, what I found also interesting, Meg Kimber's turned up in the studio. Meg, do you want a cup of tea before we do anything else? And hello. Um... Right, hang on, I'll pour you a cup. Okay, thanks, Eleanor, she's just wandered off. Um, we're having a having musical chairs here today ah. in your position, hello. Good morning. <laughs> and uh, you're Don't got... mind me, I just turn up whenever I like. Yes, yeah, you obviously that's got... That's the 2020 rules, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right, you got caught up somewhere. Well, well my, my, my chain fell off my bike. Oh. It didn't just slip off, it broke. Show us your hands where you've been playing. No, 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 I couldn't do anything, Kevin. I just, um, it literally broke, dropped off the bicycle. It broke, broke. It broke off completely. Some nice man brought it back to me down the road, and he was like, Don't you hate it when that happens? And I said, Look, there's no fixing that. So I walked the rest of the way. Oh, good God. Hell. That's the determination yes, I had to get that's here. That's determination that's for you. That's exactly right. Well, there you are. And yeah. uh, the other 2020 rule today, of course, is yeah. it might be just for one day. But we're going to change your name, I've decided. Wow. okay. Because uh, <laughs> um, right. Meg Kimber has walked in. But yeah. when we get round to interviewing Dave Sweeney shortly, 
the town, of course, in South Australia that was named as the nuclear waste dump last <laughs> week is called Kimba. How's it and spelled? I, K, well, K, I think it's K-I-M-B-A. Uh, different to yeah, mine then. Yeah, but nonetheless, yeah. You know, phonetically, it's Kimba. <laughs> and, um, and that's great. I thought today, just to save you the embarrassment of all this, yeah. um, we might call you Kim Megba for the day. All oh, right. Think. Yeah, I actually yeah, like okay. that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. I thought you were going to suggest something Kim. like um, Duchess of Sussex or something like that. No, 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 no. no. Are they still royal? I I'm don't not know sure. who they are, but I mean, if the title's going begging... <laughs> I'm a Megan as well, so... Yeah, yeah well, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm not sure how they determine these things, but, but I, yeah. You can, you can rest assured I'm no prince. But anyway... Um, <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, on that very theme, I suppose, the, the I, I, I noticed that, you know, when people like the recent Tasmanian Premier resigned and... Uh, yes. And um, you had the... You had the leader of the Greens resign. They all say they're resigning mm, to family. spend more time with the family. Yep. So ironically, the other two resigned so they could spend less time with the family. <laughs> I know. It's always the same. My mum told me that um, the Premier had resigned in Tasmania and um, I texted her back and I said, I suppose he said it was for family reasons. But um, yes, that is his story. That's right. That's yeah. right. A bit early, two years to go until the next election. Ah well, they um, they uh, they they just well, it is a bit early when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, right? really yeah, that's yeah. right. But you've got to give the other bloke time to settle in, I suppose. And that's and do that's what they the idea, do, et cetera, apparently. Etc. Etc. Yeah. Etc. Et et yeah. Um, mm. One I thought I might uh, raise with you today, yep. Meg. Um, it's one I know you've got a lot of interest in. Yep. Um, is the question of um, the question of a corruption authority, mm-hmm. or anti-corruption a authority, perhaps? One. Yes. yes, because recently we've seen a number of items, including um, including the the sports minister. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen in cast couple of days, despite them still pursuing journalists, they've dropped the case against Taylor for Angus mm-hmm. Taylor, the federal minister, who said that. Um, Look, in attacking her over climate change, attacked the Lord Mayor of Sydney for spending fifteen million. It was uh, actually yeah. four thousand on travel. Yes, and an inquiry that they've dropped that as well. And someone and it, else has just—it's just said in the Guardian recently that somebody else, but I can't remember who, um, didn't declare a couple of multi-million-dollar assets. Um, have you heard that one? Um, uh, yes, yeah. yes, I can't think of was either, but that's yeah. right. Yes, yeah. yes. Well, the the and it. Well, the government's got some proposal for an authority, but clearly mm-hmm. those people anyway wouldn't get tied up in it. They'd be exempt. No. So yep. it needs something much stronger anyway. But I know you've got some thoughts on this, and it seems to me that these are classic examples where we are lacking in having a body that can look at these things. Yeah, I mean, we've had Hannah Orby from the um, oh, Institute of Public Affairs. Uh, is that no, the that's not it. That's no, the other sorry, one. that's... <laughs> The Australia Institute. <laughs> no, well, she was at the Australia Institute, but she has uh, oh, she moved, she? a new um, a new think tank now, and um, I'll get back to you guys with the name of it. If when she's I've gone to the Institute up. of Public Affairs, we've lost her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, clearly, I haven't been here for a few months, have I? I've forgotten what the... Um... Anyway, um, so, yeah, we've had her on the show a few times, and... Um, there's a, a lot of retired judges who are advocating for the federal anti-corruption body to be a, a body with um, a watchdog with teeth, as they would say, um, because, yeah, the s- certain states have stronger um, 
the the authorities that the anti-corruption authorities in certain states have stronger um, powers than other states, and I think that's why we've seen in New South Wales there's been a greater um, there's been more outcomes in terms of oh. you know anti-corruption outcomes. With the odd ex-poly in jail, for instance. It, indeed, which would be, from what I gather, would be basically impossible to happen with the body that they're that the the coalition government's proposing in mm. Canberra. Yeah. Yeah, so well let's hope they get to that. Um but one of the items too I wanted to raise because I think it, it just shows perhaps um some degree of uh, well I, I think immorality but you could he can come and argue that if he wants to, I think, and say it's not immoral. Mm. Um, but this bloke, the Centre Alliance, Senator Rex Patrick, who always portrays himself as being you know, a decent, proper human being, looking at things from a, bio, you know, a neutral angle, mm. etc. He, of course, was part of Xenophon's team originally, and it's, ah, yeah. that's, that's what that group was, Centre Alliance. Mm. But with this, um, even what the Financial Review is calling... Uh, or just read the first part to say that the the centre alliance is suspending its support for the government's union busting and ins- union busting, so we know it's bad. Yeah. Ensuring integrity bill until it sees changes, etc., being negotiated. But one of the changes he's talking about is he doesn't want them to move any of the money for the submarines from Adelaide to Perth because he's a South Australian senator. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. He also reiterated that if the government were to move the submarine maintenance contract from Adelaide to Perth, Centre Alliance would look unfavourably on the Ensuring Integrity Bill and other legislation. And oh. I think it's so immoral yeah. to to look at a bill that's going to do terrible things to trade unions mm. and make it so much easier for anybody under the wording of the bill to virtually to go in and, and have a union official sacked or a union deregistered mm. to base it on some other thing you want mm-hmm. and say if they don't do that I won't but if they do I will mm-hmm. uh, with no with n- obviously no concern at all for the unions and workers affected by the whole thing. Yeah it's a bit like Jackie Lambie getting the um, the funding for Tasmanian public housing. Yes. Basically something's happened with politics. I don't know if it's always been like this, but the, it's, it's they're more fractured like people aren't in there as part of like the same two parties that they used to be. And then people are sort of like individual politi- politicians are leveraging certain things that they want for their area against votes yeah. basically. Yeah. They're just selling their votes. Well, she's also negotiating with the government over that bill as well to get concessions from her point of view. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's... Uh, it's a weird time in well, politics. Exactly, and at yeah. the same time, a report came out last week, you probably saw, that said that throughout, the government was aware that the robo-debt situation was illegal. Oh, my um, God. This is brilliant. Because the Victorian Legal Aid took a test case to court against the robo-debt and won. And uh, they won because the government basically conceded um, which is fantastic, mm. and good on the brave woman who was the the the, the person who had received the robo debt and went to court as the test case supported by Victorian Legal Aid. But um, yeah, they were completely in the wrong. You can't just take. Turns out you can't just take someone's tax. Ta- can't just take some money from their tax return without them knowing that they have a debt and yeah. without investigating whether that debt is legitimate. Or That's not. right, and also because <laughs> yeah. it, it wasn't literally going to the crown or whatever, so it was all that sort of stuff it's that really came into it. So, yeah. but the government and what people are asking now is how far back did the government know mm-hmm. uh, that it was illegal? Because it was forced to change the thing late last year when it became public that they knew it was illegal. But yeah, um, and in fact. In fact, I 
um, Bill Shorten came out, but of course he would, wouldn't he? But mm. but also um, Rachel Seawitt, the um, Green mm. Senator, she said the the government must reveal how long it knew the scheme was illegal. Yeah. People in our community have been traumatised and harassed for years and years. Many have large debts they don't owe mm. and are being forced to pay with interest that interest, and they want and deserve answers, mm. etc. Um, yep. And uh, I, uh, but yeah, go on. Yeah. Oh no, I just I I think. It, I think it's Gordon Slater who are doing now Slater a... Slater and Gordon. Slater and Gordon. <laughs> yeah, right. Not a Victorian. Don't mind me. Not a yeah. Victorian. <laughs> Clearly not. Um, they're doing a um, what class action now. So that might come out yeah. how long it has well, been because I think they've got thousands of people. Might be able to yeah. demand that they get that information. information yes, yeah. it's uh, And Tudge, the minister, now they've got a new... They're bringing in a new system where people have to give the exact amount they're being paid... Um, and you'd think they'd, they'd so they say that it's um, it saves people because people estimate, yeah. or they should now only say it when they actually get the money in hand, so exactly. you know exactly what they've got. And you yeah. think, well, this is good. The government's trying to help them, but then mm-hmm. you read on and say. The government believes this will prevent people from being paid the wrong amount of welfare, saving two point one billion over four years. So the whole thing is to is to take more money off welfare people, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, they really should have. In the beginning, they should have. Um, they should have just paid people the right amount. Like their systems are so bad that, like, people are reporting their incomes. They're getting paid for a different fortnight to their when they're getting paid from work. Yes. And um, you know, I think the onus should be on the on on the government making sure that they're paying the right amount, not on the person like three, two, three, four years down the track to prove that that what they paid was correct. That's like, right. Yeah. That's so offensive. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, that's yeah, that's all the go. Mm. Uh, but as I say, they they dropped the uh, thing against uh, Taylor, but they're not dropping it against journalists, etc. So uh, that's uh, just interesting. What's that? Well, they dropped the thing against Taylor, as I said earlier, but they're not uh. going to drop it against other people. Now, another story that's been floating around, and which I find quite distressing, really is that there, there's been a report come out from a bloke called Brady, a Dr Brady, an, an academic, mm. um, into the Queensland mining industry because they're having so many deaths and injuries. Oh, yeah. And he says that it's it's essentially about the fact that the bosses just just don't care. You know, mm. it's, that's virtually what he's saying. He's not saying it directly, but he's saying that, uh, you know... Um, there was any, he says, um, there's no, well, he says the rising number of contractors in the industry might be something to do with it as well because they're pushing mm. on. But that sometimes um, contractors or people on the spot, um, you know, people in the company on the spot, ask the boardroom for more money for safety, but the, mm. gut, the, the, the companies might decide that it's a bit expensive at this stage, we'll save that money. Mm. But really, he, he says, that essentially, and people say a lot of it's accidents, etc. But he says essentially, it's all about companies trying to save money on safety and um, mm. and, and pinpoints. So when there's been a huge, this is in the mining industry, but mm. there's been a huge number of deaths and injury, and we know there are anyway. It's a dangerous industry. More in Queensland but, than in other states. Yes, oh. Queensland. Well, I suppose they've got a fair bit of the the, the you know, mines and things anyway. Mm. Um, yeah, true. And um, the review acknowledged that while the industry had become safer since um, 1999 laws following the Mara mine disaster, which resulted in 11 deaths in 1994, the industry's fatalism, which expects ex- expects mining to be dangerous, was mm. also a stumbling block. So the bosses simply say, well, it's a dangerous industry. But mm. you know, those in the boardroom can say that, can't they? Uh, mm-hmm. 
Well, speaking of bosses trying not to pay for things, what about the um, mm. the new tunnel in Victoria? Yes, because yes, I they, read over the break in the Herald Sun one day. Yes, read that's the right. Herald Sun. Uh, yes, this one right. time. Just take a note of that. Yep, yep. Read the Sun, right? <laughs> one just, time just, I have. Yes, anyway. I've got it on tape anyway now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there was a whole mm. uh, expose about mm. the the blowout of the funding for the tunnel, and that nobody wants to cover the cost. The contractors mm. don't want to, the people yeah. like the um I've forgotten their name as well. I don't yeah. I should it's um the company is called Civic, I think it's called, oh, but it's okay. a co- it's a it's a collection of number of those. John Holland's one of the big uh, yeah. contractors, yeah. Yeah. This I is mean, this is the tunnel that Transfield Transurban yep. um proposed as a an unsolicited tender. Mm-hmm. Um and the government's saying well it's up to them. They're actually the person who's contracting it out to the yes. others. They've signed a contract and they've got to abide by it yeah and of course they're trying to blackmail the government into coming up with the money to meet the difference because yeah. they found this contaminated soil and they've got to work out where to put it as well exactly um but and, then they're putting the pressure on the contractors that they've employed to do the work to cover the cost and the contractors yes. are saying we can't do that that's not part yeah, of the deal and they're saying they didn't know they're trying to force majeure which means the unsol- you know the unforeseen circumstances mean we can't yeah. Um, but there's but the government saying, and I think fairly, well, it wasn't that unforeseen. You should have checked what the what it was like before <laughs> yeah. you started, you know, before yeah. you put in the bidding. Yeah. Uh, and they, they've stood the workers down, and I see that purely as blackmail to try and get the government to. Yeah. And you've got the usual editorials in the usual suspect papers saying, yeah. you know, the government better sort this out. Uh-huh. But in fact, it's between a private company and a private company. Exactly. But... But, and I'd love it if it just said, well, abandon the whole bloody thing, of course. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we'll, we'll raise this with Dave in a minute, too, because yeah. we'll go to Dave now and after this. But yeah. Um, you'll be pleased to know it was in the Saturday paper last week. Um, they name a number of them, but just they're talking about companies not paying tax, and particularly the same mining companies we're talking about. Yes. In fact, five of Australia's top coal companies, Peabody, Yancoal, Sumitomo, Citic, and Whitehaven racked up earnings of $54 billion between them over the past five years and paid no income tax. Um... These the same names keep bobbing up, says financial academic Geoffrey Knapp, a former accounting lecturer at the University of NSW, referring to the now five years of transparency data from the tax office. They just keep getting bigger and bigger, but will the tax man ever see a dollar from these fossil fuel companies, mm. particularly the foreign multinationals? Mm. Of the 40 companies that most dramatically reduced their taxable income, each by 99.5% or more, 13 are involved in either coal or oil or gas. Interesting. Yes, there you are. We should get someone on. Maybe um, you will check anyway. We'll get someone to come on and talk about that again. Yeah, because, talk, yeah. talk about capitalism and what is happening with it. That is what I would like to know. How is this happening? Oh, it's the same as ever. Ripping, <laughs> ripping people off, <laughs> making money, like, God, exploiting workers, exploiting insane. the community, destroying. <laughs> there was also a story, a quite frightening story, in many ways, in the in a feature story. I don't know where. It, came from somewhere else, mm. obviously, but the Financial Review repeated it in its review section last Friday. It was yeah. three or four pages of the long story mm. about the the ca- massive campaign now to also mine the seabeds oh. and the incredible damage they, they are and can cause to um, you know, yeah. the p- pristine environments. Like the great, off the Great Australian Bike. Yeah, but all around the world they're doing yeah, it and right. uh, it's, uh, it's quite tragic. Oh, quite boy. Often, yeah. When... Will we learn? We might get round of that as well. Yeah. Let's take a break and talk to Dave Sweeney. He'll look about uranium. That'll cheer us up, no? Oh, yes, it will. <laughs> 
Get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at the station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20. Hi, my name's Pilar Aguilera and I'm 3CR's chairperson. I'm urging you to become a 3CR subscriber. We need to keep independent, radical, dissenting voices on air. Social change doesn't just happen. We need to nurture it. We desperately need to hear alternative ideas that allow us to organise, build community and change the systems that continue to oppress us and destroy the planet. Put your money where your mouth is. Become Goongarra Environment Centre and Wildlife of the Central Highlands have started an email action for the threatened Greater Glider. Over 25% of the glider's habitat has been burnt in the fires and 90% of areas set aside for protection by the government last year have also burned. Yet their habitat is still being logged in the Central Highlands. Go to gecko.org.au to send an email to government ministers to call for protection of all remaining Greater Glider habitat. Goongarra Environment Centre office is a 3CR supporter. Okay, and for those who've uh, been on the moon or uh, Mars or something for the last few years, other than then they'll know that Dave Sweeney is the <laughs> anti-nuclear campaigner with the Australian Conservation Foundation. Dave, welcome to the show again. Yeah, good morning, Kevin. Hello, Meg. Morning. And uh, by the way, Dave, I've made a unilateral uh, decision this morning. Meg Kimber over there, we've changed her name just for the day to Kim Megbar to save her embarrassment about Kimber. Um, but, uh, Kim Megbar. Kim yeah. Megbar. Yeah, well, it's better than Meg <laughs> Look, Kimber, I think, yeah. what we're going to talk about, because Kimber, of course, is the town, as you know, chosen to take a nuclear waste dump. Yeah, so I reckon don't save the embarrassment. There's no embarrassment in being selected at the end of a bad process from a bad plan. <laughs> that's, that's the embarrassment the... <laughs> would be the embarrassment would be if you didn't effectively resist it. That's right. The, I... the, the embarrassment was your answer, I thought. <laughs> I'm putting my name to this resistance. So good, good luck, people of Kimber. Well said, Meg. Yeah. You will come to that just before the break. By the way, and this is a not quite related, but it is. Um, there was a story you might have seen in the Saturday paper this week about the big mining companies paying absolutely no tax for years. Um, and it says, in fact, five of Australia's top coal companies, Peabody, Yan, Coal, Sumitomo, Siddig and Whitehaven, racked up earnings of $54 billion between them over the past five years and paid no income tax. And yet all these companies, including uranium ones, tell us how great they are for the country. Yeah, there's uh, extraordinary, um, really, the Australian mining sector, what it gets away with. It digs up, generally without consent, a product that it didn't make on land it doesn't own, um, receives considerable um, public subsidy to do so, and then often avoids its legal, environmental, occupational health and safety and financial and economic responsibilities. It really is an extraordinary sector that deserves massive more scrutiny. We are meant to cheer that we get a a crumb from the trickle-down effect when vast amounts of Commonwealth is moved offshore or disappears into very restricted 
pockets. Mm. We also mentioned, Dave, um, just you reminded me as you said that, um, that um, there's a report from an academic called Dr Brady uh, in Queensland looking at the number, the massive number of injuries and deaths in mining up there. And uh, he concluded, one of his major conclusions was that the boardrooms see cost savings in not taking up some of the safety measures. So, um, again, they put workers' lives at risk as well. Yeah, well, that's also um, complicated and, and um, elevated by the, the lack of the regulatory regime and monitoring regulation and, you know, uh, a watchdog at both state and federal levels, Kevin, with, with some real teeth. A watchdog that's a watchdog, not a lapdog. What mm. tends to happen is regulators mm. are either compromised or ridiculously stretched. There's some really good people, but they lack institutional support and capacity to do their job. Mining industry is big. It's, mm. um, it's spread over very large areas. It's really easy to do that sort of thing of like, you know... Um, clean it up, mow the lawn, paint the post white because mm. the inspector's coming. Mm. Um, and really, there's you, you look at these things like whistleblower protections, trade union um, uh, engagement, uh, civil society engagement, all these things which are the checks and balances that support good regulation and good safety standards, and they all are, for different reasons, actively under attack or just by resource and constraint capacity being eroded. So it's a dangerous thing. And what that does mean in reality is people going to work and not coming home. And that's completely mm. unacceptable. Mm. Yeah, the, the, well, let's talk about that because, in fact, the, in the push for, um, for nuclear energy, which is now increasing here, particularly among conservative politicians, um, they never ever mention the fact that there's a bit of a safety problem involved at the end of all the process, and yet we've seen over the break the Fukushima company saying, and the, with some support from the government in Japan, that the only solution to the the increasing amounts of uh, radiated water they've got is to release it into the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, there's a, a very limited lens that people talk about nuclear on, and if you look at the reality, like we're, we're ending... Yes, you know, we started the last decade with Fukushima. We're starting this decade as if that didn't happen with these fabricated and, and very glossy promotions of nuclear power. But if you look at Fukushima, the continuing reality now, you are, again, spot on the money, Kevin. There's, a, there's 170 tonnes of radioactive water. That's cooling water, leaking cooling water and contaminated groundwater that are on that site and captured afresh every day. And that's just being racked and stacked and kept there. And now we've got Medi, the Ministry of Economy, Trade um, and Industry, very, very heavy hitting, very powerful um, um, industry portfolio in Japan. Um, they've looked at the issue and commissioned reports and done all sorts of stuff. And they've said the most economically expedient, coupled with what they say is environmentally beneficial option, is to um, allow routine release to the Pacific Ocean. They're talking massive volumes of water um, and that water has had some treatment but it's still got um, materials, radioisotopes and contaminants that you can't get out and particularly tritium mm. and that to be released into the, to the Pacific, it has really significant adverse impacts on fishing industry, on consumer confidence about fishing and food, really significant international concerns as you can imagine on you know, Korea is very unhappy 
about the, as they see it, the EC being seen as a disposal pond mm -hmm. for a failed Japanese nuclear reactor. Um, and you look at all of these things, there's this rush to get that stuff off-site before mid-year when there's uh, uh, Japanese Olympics and um, it, everybody in Japan from, you know, Prime Minister Abe down wants that to be a showpiece of the normalised new modern Japan, so they want all the waste off the scene. But TEPCO, the corner-cutting Tokyo Electric Power Company that that runs Fukushima has just put out a new projection and saying that they will be actively required to do stabilisation, mitigation, rehabilitation works at Fukushima for at least the next 25 years, for at least till 2045, every day suited up people doing work to stop this accident. This is not a clean industry. And this is, Fukushima is not operating, is it? It's just like basically in a kind of a caretaker mode, is that right? Yeah, there's a bunch of um, reactors in, in Japan that um, are not operating. There was 50-odd reactors and they were all shut down. They were all put on hold after um, Fukushima Meg. Mm. And then there's, uh, um, I think there's about a dozen, I think it's just hit double figures, 10 or 12, that have come back online in the decade since. Mm. Often they are very strongly contested by local prefectures who mm. don't want them to come on or by local communities. So there's still the majority of Japan's reactor fleet is is uh, in, you know, what they term long-term outage. Mm. And, of course, the, the water's accumulating because they need it every day to keep the cores cooled. But is that going to be just an ongoing, endless process? Yeah, pretty much. Huh. Effectively, yes. This will be... Um, uh, at least in the medium term of, uh, you know, a 10, 20-year term, um, an ongoing problem. That's why they want to try and normalise some form of solution. Store it for a while, once every three months when there's a tidal surge, release it into the Pacific. And you have your solution is um, to pollution is dilution, mm. is their mantra. So wait till the seas are up, chuck it in, and a little bit more won't hurt. It'll disperse. The, the principle of that is disturbing. The practice mm. of that is contaminating. And there's so many things that are unproven. And the clear thing of this, there's, there's so many different sectors of the community, like fishers and, and local agricultural producers, local farmers, um, ocean users, that are really deeply concerned and hostile. Mm. And the other thing about this is that, you know, um, there is... It, this is all happening in an attempt to address a past mistake. Mm. And, you know, you've, you've got to ask the question of, like, what does it take then to be a change, a, a change in direction and a change in thing, you know, that one of the key drivers of energy? And, and we've got to ask ourselves the same question in this country. We just had a fifth of the country burn, tragic losses of life, wildlife, habitat, profound impacts on people. And, you know, the, the circus in Canberra is talking, let's go more coal exports. Um, it, it is. It, it, it's the same sort of thing. We are getting clear warnings of the profound need to change and move away from dirty energy and embrace clean energy to put nuclear and, and fossil fuel in the path where they belong. And there's key leaders in countries that, for very short-term thinking, are making very long-term wrong decisions. That, that uh, is related to one of the things that I've learned about um, mining and nuclear energy and these old 
old types of energy production is that they have these huge demands on water, which is the thing that I can't conceive of how. I think a lot of people don't know how uh, heavy the water consumption is for these industries. In, in a country like Australia, it's crazy. Absolutely spot on, yeah. Megan. And um, that's something that ACF has just recently raised a real concern over because yeah. during, you know, recently we've seen the elevation of Keith Pitt, Queensland National, to Cabinet as, as the Minister for Resources. But he's also the Minister for Northern Australia and the Minister for Water. Mm. So you've got one of the biggest, most unregulated water users in the country. Um, the sector is now, um, you know, under the the watch of an absolutely pro-resource, mm. pro-nuclear, pro-coal, unashamedly pro-coal person who also signs off on water. And mm. right now we've got BHP Billiton, the world's biggest mining company. It wants to expand the Olympic Dam um, copper and uranium operation in South Australia. Now it wants to do that for copper because of the renewable energy demand and the energy efficiency demand. But a, a side product of that is that they will be pulling out more uranium alongside the copper. Uh, but they want to expand and get a licence to have 50 years of 50 million litres of water each and every day. And South Australia is the driest state of what you've said, the driest mm. continent on earth. Mm. And this is sailing through and there's even debate and uncertainty at a government level whether what whether and what level of assessment they'll give it like massive impacts that are not being treated seriously or credibly and looked at and also looked at at what does this mean for other water users for cultural water flows for pastoralists for regional towns we're trucking water into regional towns and we're giving an all clear for ever more voracious mining companies to suck more water up mm. Yes, and uh, and on that last point, though, knowing what I pay, they must pay a fortune for water. And, and their bills. Oh, oh, if only, if only. Sometimes I find myself wishing that you know oh there God. really was a free market. You know, sometimes <laughs> yeah. I wish there was a free market because if they paid what mm-hmm. urban utility users paid, they would actually go mm-hmm. out of business or at mm-hmm. least get fair income about their usage. Exactly. Well, the young woman who's the um, the Rivers campaigner with Foe um, at a rally I was at late last year made the point that uh, you've got you've got you're now using um, you're now using petrol and fossil fuels to to transport water into areas that are right alongside what used to be the biggest mm. river system in the country it's just ridiculous yeah and that's just... pretty that's pretty stark it's it's the reality of it and it's pretty stark and mm. you know again it comes that thing of of the the frog in the slowly warming pond, at Mm. which time do some of these people making corporate decisions and political decisions um, accept the urgency and the need, what the science community is saying, what increasing amounts of people are saying, and not just the usual suspects, um, about the need for change. Yeah, but also following the um, the closure of the nuclear plants in Japan, of course, the other side of that is the government's now talking about building 22 new coal-fired power plants in Japan. Mm. Well, at, at least it's getting a lot of opposition, of course, from the community, but it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty, you know, one would have thought they might go in different directions. Mm. Oh, well, absolutely, and it's there to be gone. It is the land of the rising sun, after all. Mm. Um, the, the other thing, as we've said before, talking 
on this show is, you know, it would be a difficult situation for environmentalists for many Indigenous communities and others if the choice, if our choice was simply, oh, it's either nuclear or coal. Mm. And the important thing is this is not a polemic um, debate. This is not just an either-or, zero-sum sort of debate. We have enormous opportunities in this country and elsewhere to move into renewables and move into other things. And people tend to, or some people tend to think the Murdoch press and a bevy of um, conservative politicians that renewables are Mickey Mouse or Gilligan's Island, or as former Mm. Minister Matt Canavan referred to them during the week, doll bludgers. Mm. Doll bludger energy sources that work when they want to. That is not how it is. Mm. And there's this bizarre situation where pro-nuclear advocates have faith that we can design a system that will isolate a carcinogenic waste for 10,000 to 100,000 years. Mm. They've got techno-faith in that. (laughs) But they don't have techno-faith that we can make a battery that will hold a charge for two days. Mm. I find that extraordinary. And we actually... It's a real pity when countries like Japan... Um, And again, it's a complete failure of leadership. If it was a different leadership in Japan, it would be a different result. And Mm. so often, you know, the power of one or the power of a few, for good or ill, gets um, reflected. Well, just showing that, I mean, the the morality of capitalism tucked away in the story about those 22 coal-fired plants... Um, is a paragraph, climate change aside, so just ignore the climate change, <laughs> the new power plants may bode well for Australia, which is the world's number one exporter of coal. Oh, so boy. we're going to make money out of it. Yeah, well, you know, that's it. There's, you know, there's money in muck and, you know, the end mm. of the world is, um, it's a good earner. You know, we're, return, we're increasing shareholder value, Kevin. Um, oh, it's it's an extraordinary, it's the extraordinary ability to compartmentalise and not mm. see Mm. What are clear causal relationships and clear implications and impacts is extraordinary. This ability to just scope down and talk about my responsibility or my little patch in the chain um, when the system, the, the system that sustains life on earth is under pressure itself mm. and underperforming for the majority of people on this planet. The majority of people on this planet are not the beneficiaries of the vast amounts of money that are washing around this planet. Mm. Yep. Um, before we get, we'll talk about Kimber, won't we? We've, we've we got uh, about yes, 10 minutes. But before we go there, just a, I don't know whether this will be a quick question or not, Dave, but you've, you're obviously on you the m- ground. You mean a quick answer, Dave? Yeah, yeah, because the question will be long. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're on the ground with communities mm. who are resisting um, these expansions of these kind of power, like energy um, resource extraction. And you're also, I'm assuming, um, in, you know, talking to, to politicians and things like that. One of the things that I've thought about is how um, the corporate sector is starting to at least pay lip service and maybe even actually uh, take into account social license and the lack of it in a lot of industries. So are you seeing any potential, even though government aren't um, getting on board, potential for industry to actually just change tack and go with renewables, for example? Yeah, definitely. Right. That's the short answer, Kevin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, 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 there is a, there is a much longer answer. It was a tenth of the question. <laughs> you can cite examples. But, yes, there is a very clear sense. About the importance of social licence, which used to be seen as an uh, additional mm-hmm. opt-in feel-good thing, yeah. it's now seen as a critical precondition to the success of a project. Right. Um, 
and not just by project proponents but by project financiers, which mm. is really important. When the yeah. money says you need the community to agree or else we're not going to give you the cheque, yes. that is really important. That's what's happening. Mm. On other hands, you can see like Rio Tinto, for example, in, in the range of mine at Kakadu, it ha- is making all the right moves and the right words about the need to clean up so that their social licence at future ventures remains intact. Mm. In relation to energy, there are clear moves by companies to say we need, you know, carbon pricing, we need certainty, we need action on um, renewables. And there is a, a whole range of companies whose bottom line remains the triple bottom line of capitalism, mm. of pounds, you know, mm. euros and dollars. Um, but they're seeing mm. the longer game is transition and and they're driving that. So I think we're seeing both on a community level mm. and on a corporate level, people are ahead of political leadership. Mm. So, you know, yeah. political leadership actually needs to catch up, needs to stop playing student politics in the bubble yeah. and needs to get fed income about navigating some complex stuff in really challenging circumstances. Mm. The, on, on that again, um, the honeymoon uranium mine again in South Australia, Dave, uh, talk about reopening that at the moment by the company called Boss Resources, which currently owns it. Uh, And the bloke from Boss Resources um, says more nuclear power plants are coming on stream, particularly in China, and so demand for uranium is on the increase. Nuclear power should be under serious consideration in the hunt for carbon-free energy sources alongside solar and wind, the usual argument. I firmly believe nuclear power should be part of any country's energy mix. It's not the be-all and end-all, but it should be part of it. It's carbon-free energy that we should all be focusing on. Comment? Well, that's, that's, that's the script that is being increasingly heard and replicated around at the moment. It's certainly going to get... We're going to hear a lot more of that in 2020 with Minister Pitt pushing this with uh, state inquiries instituted by far-right parties in New South Wales, the federal parliament and Victoria. So there will be all this talk by a bunch of climate deniers will now turn into climate change is real, so we need nuclear power. (laughs) The the reality of it, though, is last year, as it has over the last decade, nuclear power continues a downward trend. Mm. Now, it's not like dead. It's a significant power source. It supplies 10% of the world's electricity. Now, that's not inconsiderable. But last year, there were six reactors built and come online, That's and mainly in China and Russia, and there were eight that were shut down. So, you know, there's a gradual tra- uh, trajectory down. Like 10 years ago, December 20, 2009, there were 437 reactors. December 2019, 415, so 22 less. Mm. So we're dropping to a year effectively, mm. and that will increase dramatically soon because the average age of the nuclear reactor fleet is 30 years. So they're getting older, they're getting more complicated, they're getting less efficient and they're getting more prone to safety problems. Mm. So, you know, the the cost curve for renewables has absolutely smashed nuclear. And if we had actually a free market or if people, Mm. like in political positions, didn't give subsidies and did shut up, Mm. renewables would be absolutely embraced. Mm. There was a report this week, we can go, don't talk about it much, but a report this week again that, that compared the various sources of energy and nuclear was light years ahead in, in being more expensive than anything else, apart mm. from the 15 or 20 year gap before you get going anyway. Mm. Um, and at the bottom of the scale were renewables, which again left uh, fossils for dead. So mm. the figures are there. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. The, fi- the, the evidence is there that we need to change from every climate scientist except you know one who's on life support for, on, for, on an industry fund. 
Um, and so the evidence is there of the need to change. The demonstrable capacity to change is there and the desire of people to embrace renewable and cleaner energies, to have power that meets their needs and doesn't literally cost the earth mm. is there. There's the synergies there to actually you know, repower the Australian, particularly regional economy on renewables and be a driver in in uh, clean energy, the fastest growing sector. But in, in, again, again, like there's a statement yesterday from Minister Pitt that is he wants to see more exports of uranium, more exports of coal and Australia to become an energy export superpower. Now, that's one vision of the future, but it's a pretty lame one. Yeah. It's a pretty tired one. It's a failed one. It's a self-destructive one. Mm. And we need to really do better. Yeah, we haven't got on to Kimber, and Kimber over there is sort of looking at it. Look, but really but getting, um, just yeah. on that, Dave, um, the the approval of um, of Kimber as a nuclear waste dump in South Australia by Canavan the day before he ended up being a minister, I think. But yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely, Kevin. He he, um, he signed off on on a site at Kimber, which is at the top of the Air Peninsula, a couple of hours west of Port Augusta. Proudly claims itself as halfway across Australia. Um, he he signed off on Kimber as a site for a national radioactive waste facility on Saturday and he resigned on Monday. So he's gone, he's gone, and uh, but the waste he's ticked off on has got another 10,000 years in office. And we got Pitt instead anyway. And we got Pitt instead, aptly named perhaps. Um, so um, so where, where that is, is that, all, that, all that's happened, it's a very significant step, but all that's happened is the Minister with Portfolio Responsibility has said, of all the places in Australia, I deem this, for a range of reasons, to be the best. Now, it hasn't been approved. It's not a done deal. It still faces two forms of parallel federal assessment and there is considerable community disquiet. He made the decision on... The Saturday, on Sunday, the following day, there were 300 people at the crossroads at Kimber for Kimber's first ever protest. Right. Now, in a town of about 1,000, 900 or 1,000 people, that's a hefty shot. Right. Um, there's a lot of people concerned in the wider region. There's growing concern and unease amongst the whole range of stakeholders. The bungalow people, the traditional owners, native title holders of that area who actually have cultural uh, lands in and reserved area that abuts one of the um, potential sites are uh, continuing a legal challenge and there's all sorts of, um, of discussions about how to put the brakes on this. Not to be mischievous, but because, as we've discussed before, it's useful to remember this federal plan is to, in two parts. One is to take Australia's low-level waste and bury it or inter it at Kimber no intention to recover it, so that's disposal. The other is to take Australia's intermediate level waste, and this is the serious and risky stuff, particularly risky stuff, and it needs to be isolated from people and planet for up to 10,000 years. 95% of it is currently stored at the Australian Nuclear Science and Technology Organisation's Lucas Heights facility in, in southern Sydney, where it was generated, and they want to move it from there to put it in regional South Australia, with no increased security, in fact, a significant reduction in security, response capacity, monitoring, all those things, and sometime in the next 100 years, we will do something else with it. No timeline, no plan, no funding. They're moving it on a promise, Kevin, mm. Meg. They're moving this stuff from where it is and where it is on the radar to regional SA 
on a promise that in the next 100 years someone else will do something responsible about it. So it's a really poorly considered politically driven idea. Mm. It's not responsible and it shouldn't go ahead. What's the politics behind it? Politics is basically Ansto saying, can we clear the place so we look bright and shiny? The other politics is, um, uh, oddly enough, but it is important, it is the politics of incoming resource ministers who get told this is a tricky one, Minister, and they go, oh, I'll sort that, Uh. I'll push through this, like the Martin Ferguson swagger style of politic. Mm. Um, So there's a bit of personal and portfolio ego. Mm. There's a large part of Ansto, can we have a shiny precinct, not have radioactive of waste drums at the back, irrespective of whether we've got space to house them or not. Mm. And there is this mixture of, you know, people have then second guess. And with varying degrees of credibility, is this a stalking horse to something wider? Is this a plan to get a space so that they can introduce over 15 years domestic nuclear power? Is, Mm. is, is. But there is no... The long and short of it, Meg, is there is no public health or radiological rationale for doing it. None at all. And every time we're driven in and asked about that, they've said, oh, well, you know, it's for nuclear medicine and kiddies with cancer, which is all very important. Everyone accepts nuclear medicine. But this is not required Mm. for Australians to have access, secure access, continuing access to nuclear medicine. It's an absolute emotional thirsty and it's a real problem that there hasn't been enough scrutiny and enough actually unpicking. We live in a very quick turnaround for age and not often do you get a city limits where you can have a long chat, discursive chat and talk about an issue. In the seven-second grab, they say this means nuclear medicine and kiddies with cancer and we say it's not proven. Mm. And people go, oh, well, you've got to have it. We don't have to have it. We need to do something, but it needs to be responsible, not suboptimal. Yeah, we're nearly out of time, but just on that last point you raised about time to discuss it, I heard you interviewed on the ABC over the break uh, debating with the chair of the New South Wales inquiry into nuclear energy, and uh, I was taken by the neutrality he was clearly bringing to the issue, uh, Dave. Uh, he sounded, he made Pitt sound pretty, pretty conservative. I tell, you, I tell you, if you know, I wish horses were as predictable, Kevin. We, we would have far better fundraising opportunities. I thought, yeah, it's good to see this bloke bringing an open mind to the question. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, that that report will fall out, and it will say that you know what we need to do is is um, embrace you know small modular reactors. What's really interesting in this though is two things that are happening that are positive, glass half full on all this nuclear chatter. Mm. One is that people are saying that climate change is real, including people that used to deny it. Two is that that people are saying that old-style nuclear reactors, that is the ones that currently exist and and provide electricity, are not appropriate in Australia. Mm. So they're all gearing and putting all their hopes on what they call small modular reactors, which effectively don't exist, which are demonstration rather than real. And a couple of years ago, a pro-nuclear report in 2018 by the National Academy of Science in the States said that for them to make a significant contribution, even just in the States, would require over the next several decades several hundred billions of dollars in direct and indirect subsidy. So if you, if you really look at it and take away the adjectives and look at the reality, they don't exist. It would cost a fortune and take lots of time that we don't have. Mm. Um, so we need to contest this whole nuclear power stuff, but we need to contest it with confidence that there is a solution and that solution is renewable.
Okay, Dave, we're out of time, unfortunately, but we've got a whole year ahead to keep talking about this. But thanks for your time this morning, Comrade. Thanks, Dave. Thanks so yeah. much for the okay. opportunity. That's Good right. to talk. Radio, thanks, Dave. Dave Sweeney there, who's the um, anti-nuclear campaigner with Australian Conservation Foundation, and it is serious because they've got all these inquiries, etc. They are, and a minister who who is pro-nuclear, so it's... Uh, we're yeah, fights. and let's really stand in solidarity with the people of Kimber who are... Pushing back against this. Well said, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Let's finish with a song by Yothi Unity. Okay, and housing next week. Yeah.